the realization is that we need to think about many different moving pieces, supply, demand, norms, if we really want to go to the roots of gender inequalities. Fragility, conflict, and violence across the world have reached their highest levels in decades. And this trend affects women and girls differently, putting them at a higher risk of gender-based violence and amplifying gender-based barriers to economic opportunities. The World Bank Group's strategy for fragility, conflict, and violence recognizes that fragility and conflict affect and is affected by gender inequalities in ways that require tailored approaches, mindful of context. Hello and welcome. I'm Lauren Kelly, Technical Lead for Sustainable Development at the World Bank's Independent Evaluation Group, IEG. And this is What Have We Learned? The Evaluation Podcast. In today's episode, we focus on the hundreds of millions of vulnerable women and girls living in countries affected by fragility, conflict, and violence. We will talk about how the World Bank is addressing gender inequalities in these countries by exploring lessons from IEG's evaluation entitled Addressing Gender Inequalities in Countries Affected by FCV that is also available on IEG's website. This report assessed the quality of the World Bank's support to fragile conflict and violence affected countries in promoting women's and girls' economic empowerment and in addressing gender-based violence. These lessons from the World Bank's experience are a source of valuable insights for other development organizations and practitioners committed to addressing gender inequalities. To discuss this topic, we have two remarkable guests here with us today. Rebecca Grun is a human development practice leader in the West Africa region at the World Bank, joining us from Dakar, Senegal. Before her current role, she was assistant to the World Bank's president, covering human development, economics, and global partnerships. Before joining the bank, Rebecca was an advisor to the UK Prime Minister Strategy Unit, which she joined from private sector strategy consulting. Rebecca has also designed and implemented social safety net projects in the Sahel. We also have with us Elena Bardazi, senior economist in IEG and the author of IEG's evaluation, Addressing Gender Inequalities in Countries Affected by FCV. Elena leads IEG's gender workstream, focusing on assessing the gender impacts of policies and programs for poverty reduction. Let's start with an essential question of addressing gender inequalities in fragile conflict and violent situations. How can projects really reach vulnerable women and girls and ensure that they can benefit from its interventions? Can you speak, Rebecca, about how the World Bank is coordinating with grassroots organizations, local organizations, and other community-based approaches uh, that can amplify impact? But also, what are those limitations of working at the local level? Over to you, Rebecca. Thank you. Yeah, super important topic. Um, I mean, working at the community level is so essential, specifically in, in the fragile and conflict-prone environments. Um, the first step is the, the grassroots organizations, and I would include actually local governments and local traditional leaders, are a source of intel, a source of information. They hold the ground truth. Um, I think it's very important to come with this humility and say our first homework is to talk to these people and try to understand their context. And that is the very first step before designing any service for the community. So ask the local stakeholders group by group, 
Um, one example is when we uh, designed the mobile crashes in Burkina, we had a, a child development professor from Senegal working with us who was very diligent about this and really went um, with his research team to all the stakeholders and asked them first, what do you need? How do you feel about this? What would you suggest? What are your doubts? Really, literally everyone, starting with the community, um, but also at the um, at the regional and, and higher government levels. And that was really essential. Um, and they co-designed what we really did, right? Because it, it was for them. Um, they they decided um, what they needed and um, with what was available, really, really co-designed it. And this was a service that survived in a fragile conflict-affected um, environment, not only in Burkina, but also in the north of Cameroon and later in DRC and, and Guinea, all of which are fragile environments. But talking about limitations, um, at some point, we do want to affect sector-wide change, right? We want to go beyond a, a community and municipality and beyond also the region. We want country-wide and sector-wide change. And at that point, um, you need to go from local to central, involve the more central levels. Um, but um, I wouldn't even call it a limitation because if you've generated evidence that something works at the community level, it can be a nice springboard convincing government um, that this is really worthwhile and, and makes a difference. That's very useful. Um, really excellent. Thank you for that. So over to you, Elena. Thank you very much for joining today. Thank you, Lauren. Uh, first of all, what we found is that the bank is mostly relevant. This means that is able to provide support that is tailored to the context and generally is taking into account the specific needs of beneficiaries. We also found that more or less um, interventions promote inclusive ownership, that is they consult and they involve beneficiaries at different moments. And we really tried in the evaluation to hear also the voices of the beneficiaries themselves and understanding why um, involving them it's important. Uh, it's important, first of all, for several reasons. First of all, it's important in itself because it enhances the, the voices of the women, of the girl. So using this more bottom-up approach as opposed to a top-down approach is, is really a way of supporting participation and voice uh, of uh, also this, uh, this women in this uh, very difficult context. But it's also important for, for other reasons. It's important for sustainability, for example. Uh, we are talking about situations where the central government sometimes is delegitimized and uh, is unable to reach out to uh, certain areas of the countries or certain groups of beneficiaries. So it is essential to involve the local communities and, uh, and the local actors in implementing and achieving results. And another uh, reason why this is important is to make interventions more effective. Uh, in our um, evaluation, we found several examples where not involving women beneficiaries at design resulted essentially in a loss of efficacy uh, in intervention not achieving their goals. Um, in some projects, for example, we observed that uh, women were asked to operate a machinery that they were not able to operate or um, selling products that didn't have enough market. And obviously, these reduced greatly the uh, capacity of the project to achieve results. Um, 
some of these issues could have been uh, addressed by consulting women earlier on in the project, involving them uh, more at the time of design uh, so that these uh, mistakes uh, could have been avoided. While generally speaking, as I said before, the, the World Bank is consulting, is involving beneficiaries, uh, doing this uh, in a more systematic and strategic way would definitely help address uh, some of these uh, shortcomings of, um, of the project. That's fascinating. And you relate this both to equity, but importantly, also to effectiveness and sustainability. And the evaluation makes that link in the report. So, you know, that is really integral. Um, I want to go to Rebecca now about other organizations. These are about the bank's partners, like the UN agencies that are on the ground and can sometimes be better positioned to work at a local level, involving women and youth organizations, um, including in design and execution of these interventions. You know, as compared to the bank. Um, can you speak, Rebecca, about how the World Bank is also coordinating uh, with partners such as the UN to better leverage each other's advantage, both in terms of their presence, reach, and mandates? Thanks, Rebecca. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's, um, it's, it's an adaptive approach, right? There are different degrees of fragility and violence. And say, um, if you um, translate that into, say, five degrees of severity, um, the bank, through adaptation, can be present certainly in the first three levels, sometimes in the fourth, but not in the fifth, not in full-on conflict, not in full-on um, um, you know, a, um, a failed state. But several of our UN partners can, UNHCR, UNICEF, um, also WFP, are present in, in quite severe um, situations. And that is, is one um, you know, difference in comparative advantage. And we're working together, sharing the book, sharing the data, um, exchanging about the protocol, the data protection, uh, which is important when you identify the beneficiaries and in some contexts, we went literally beneficiary by beneficiary in one direction or the other. So say a beneficiary that transitions from a humanitarian situation out of a refugee camp to be covered by national safety net systems, really um, individual by individual working with HCR. So the World Bank Pro project can integrate that beneficiary into um, the national system. So yeah, on the knowledge front, the data front, I mentioned that, but also on the targeting, selection of beneficiaries, uh, sometimes sharing the social workers, sharing the protocols of um, how some services are delivered and um, uh, being mindful that the government remains in the driver's seat, right? That that is really um, uh, the goal, that the government is in the lead and that we all work uh, towards um, sustainability. I think that's very clear. And I think that I like the way that you outline the degrees of severity. And I think often in IEG and our evaluations, we do look at things differently when we're thinking about how to engage in fragility versus active conflict versus violence and the kind of partnerships that we have. Elena, back to you. Um, I want to bring in that element of depth, depth in projects that promotes women and girls' economic empowerment and that address gender-based violence. Um, you, the IEG's evaluation describes these projects as having integrated, holistic approaches that address the root causes of gender inequalities. I want to pull through that a little bit more. Can you tell us more about what a project with depth looks like? Thank you. Certainly, Lauren. The bank has actually promoted and started projects that are actually multi-sectoral, that are integrated, that are holistic, because the um, realization is that we need to think about 
many different moving pieces, supply, demand, norms, if we really want to go to the roots of gender inequalities. One example uh, that is probably the emblematic example of the bank uh, is uh, the um, Sahel Women's Empowerment and Demographic Dividend Project that we call, we know as WED uh, at the bank. And this is uh, one of these examples where multiple entry points are used um, to try to really address the root causes of gender inequalities. So there are intervention on the supply side and on the demand side. On the supply side, the project wants to improve a quality of education, uh, reproductive health services, and on the demand side, it wants to improve the capacity of women of making decisions about uh, their fertility, on the use of reproductive services. It also provides uh, women and girls uh, with uh, uh, technical and business development training in order to develop uh, uh, their economic uh, potential. And um, it also tries to address uh, gender norms uh, by engaging men and boys uh, and traditional leaders in uh, eliminating uh, gender-based violence. So the, in the last phase of SWED, actually, in the phase two, uh, there are also interventions that are meant to address uh, the enabling environment. So as, as we see, it's a very complex uh, project that uses a lot of intervention on many different sides um, in order to increase effectiveness. Everything is needed to really make change. However, clearly, projects of this type are very complex, are very expensive and are very hard to bring to scale. There are um, issues of resources and issues of scale and issue of implementations that really come with this type of projects. But this doesn't mean that uh, um, all this is not needed. Uh, all these elements need to be there if really wants to have deeper change, a profound change on the ground. That's profound. And I think that sometimes, you know, there is an allergy, allergic reaction to complexity, but the necessity of, of going deep and I think you present that well in the evaluation. So let me go back to Rebecca for a moment uh, about the reality of doing this. Rebecca, um, so what the evaluation found is that multi-sectoral approaches have a key role for projects to produce this deep change that Ellen is speaking about. Um, can you speak to this? Can you speak to uh, collaborative processes across the World Bank, across World Bank units that have facilitated this and how the bank's ongoing efforts to strengthen a one World Bank uh, can impact your work in this space. I'll use one example that we currently have in a non-fragile environment, but I really do believe it works in fragile environments as well. Um, and it's often in reform dialogue that we really get the sectors together. Um, there's currently um, a development policy operation going on in, in Cabo Verde, which has a very important um, line and narrative on women's empowerment. So um, allowing women to work, allowing them to work gainfully, um, including um, expanding childcare. And this is a government that is really keen on fully understanding how can they facilitate the private market for childcare and how can they fill the gaps and really um, 
in uh, making a difference for women and particularly uh, female-headed households. And this really brought everybody together. So some analytics from the Poverty GP, um, uh, the health sector, education, leading on that dialogue, um, uh, the macro team for the development policy operation, the private sector team was keen to um, uh, tap into the female labor force. Um, and really all these sectors um, huddled together and brought around a pretty path-breaking um, reform chain, if you want, starting with paternity leave, maternity leave, licensing child minders. It's sort of a, basically a narrative across three um, DPOs, which also at the same time would be a very nice example for, for the sub-region. So, um, yeah, definitely. So together we can be stronger and we open new doors and also new, new perspectives to have a bigger impact. That's amazing. You're telling us to keep an eye on Cabo Verde, where you've demonstrated how, and this is remarkable, you know, the bank has really brought in everyone from the poverty, health, education, macro teams, and the private sector uh, to try to find all these multi-sectoral entry points for that, for that deep change. Thank you for giving us this many examples. So over to you, Elena. Um, what would it take to achieve this deep change more systematically? What would it take to address some of these trade-offs between depth, scale, and sustainability? Thank you, Lauren. In none of the 40-plus projects that we analyzed, we observed that a single project can actually do it all. It's very, very hard to find, well, impossible in our case, we were not able to find any project that was relevant, that promoted inclusive ownership, that was deep, that was sustainable, and it was a scale. Uh, we saw that projects have improved uh, in some of these uh, dimensions. They um, are engaging in uh, um, being more, for example, more sustainable, element of sustainability, element even of scale, they are expanding. But uh, it's essentially impossible, this is one of the takeaway of the evaluation, it's impossible to expect that a single project can actually do it all, can address uh, supply, demand side elements, can address uh, the norm, can be a scale, can be sustainable, can actually institutionalize some of this mechanism. It's uh, frankly impossible to think uh, uh, that we can sor solve the problem project by project. So what the evaluation um, indicates is that we need to go out of this approach project-by-project project approach towards a country engagement approach. A country engagement approach is a more strategic approach that is based on uh, prioritizing, is based on creating collaboration and synergies across the projects, across institutions like the World Bank and IFC, across the stakeholders that are working in the fields, other donors, uh, the civil society on the ground, the women's organization, um, the governments, of course. Uh, so having a strategic country engagement approach based also on establishing priorities over the medium and longer terms uh, around which to build a portfolio of activities that integrate, that are integrated and coherent. This is probably the way in which we are um, able to address uh, root causes that are covering different needs of different population, even in uh, fragile environments. That's very clear. So it's about country engagement. It's about a portfolio approach. And it's about working with others, partnering 
uh, to create that kind of connective tissue um, at the country level. That's very clear, Elena, and that comes out very clear in your evaluation. Rebecca, you've been working on safety net projects and you've been working on them at a very large scale at a national level. Um, I want you to talk about that. What obstacles do you see from your work in the West Africa region, for example, to ensure that these projects um, address the root causes of gender inequality when you are working at scale? Sure. Um, I mean, thinking from the girls and women's empowerment lens, I mean, a lot of the inequality, a lot of the roots of the inequality are in in the household, right? So in personal relationships and not necessarily where you can go very deep. I mean, we already are in the kitchen with the safety nets because the transfers usually go to the woman and they uh, upset the household bargaining system quite positively. What we observe is sort of a J curve, meaning in the short run becomes a bit worse. In the long run, it becomes much better. And we did some qualitative work on that in Cameroon that illustrated this, this J curve. So this, it's in the short term, it's upsetting for for male members of the household in the longer term, it's, it's very much embraced as, as, an, um, as a different bargaining system um, based on a different economic empowerment system. Um, but going further than that is, is really not easy. I mean, they have been promising pilots by the Gender Innovation Lab. We should look at all of these, but uh, a lot of roots are still there. Another reason is sometimes it's a new topic for the government. It's not that the government's necessarily opposed to girls and women's empowerment, um, but it's new on the radar. And a lot of decision makers are men and don't necessarily see um, the care burden or other issues. So there's a, a big role for teams to be very evidence-based and talk about gender as smart economics and link it to other government goals. And um, and sometimes we also have to look in the mirror, right? Um, and, and maybe improve the design of our projects. Um, some projects... Um, if you know, if I think of West Africa, women on average in some countries have four to five children on average, meaning several have more, and so they already have quite a full script as a mother, and not necessarily too much support um, from from other family members, and um, and they are surviving. And here comes a, a project that adds to that script and says, oh, please don't involve the older children, and please do breastfeed um, all the babies for at least one year, and also please interact play with all your children. And then sometimes you find, yes, people comply because they feel uh, they should, it, it, and it doesn't necessarily translate into the impact in, in human capital. And one reason maybe that we really need to pick up people where they are and know that, okay, these people have a full plate. And the first step should be that we relieve the unpaid care work and invest in childcare, healthcare, elder care, to relieve this unpaid care burden and, and only start from there and yeah, make them marketable. And also, of course, I think Elena mentioned that uh, working with, with um, men and boys um, uh, to, to clarify that this is not, um, uh, not an attack on anything and there are many avenues for, for heroism um, in, uh, in this context. I think you raised something very important in, in this response, Rebecca, in terms of culture and context. And you've introduced us to a lot of specificity there, but what really comes out of that answer is really meeting people where they are and understanding of their realities. Thank you for that. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you, Elena, for joining us today. This has been an important and enlightening conversation. Unfortunately, we have run out of time, but we hope that our talk today sparks more engagement on addressing gender inequalities in countries affected by fragility 
conflict and violence and sheds more light on how to achieve sustainable and meaningful results. Thank you for listening and please stay tuned for the next episode of What Have We Learned? The Evaluation Podcast.